Chapter 9 of Astoria, or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Point George, Founding of Astoria, Indian Visitors, Their Reception, The Captain Taboos the Ship, Departure of the Tonquin, Comments on the Conduct of Captain Thorn from the report made by the two exploring partners it was determined that point george should be the site of the trading-house these gentlemen it is true were not perfectly satisfied with the place and were desirous of continuing their search but captain thorn was impatient to land his cargo and continue his voyage and protested against any more of what he termed sporting excursions accordingly on the twelfth of april the launch was freighted with all things necessary for the purpose and sixteen persons departed in her to commence the establishment leaving the tonquin to follow as soon as the harbour could be sounded crossing the wide mouth of the river the party landed and encamped at the bottom of a small bay within point george the situation chosen for the fortified post was on an elevation facing to the north with the wide estuary its sand-bars and tumultuous breakers spread out before it and the promontory of cape disappointment fifteen miles distant closing the prospect to the left the surrounding country was in all the freshness of spring the trees were in the young leaf the weather was superb and everything looked delightful to men just emancipated from a long confinement on shipboard the tonquin shortly afterwards made her way through the intricate channel and came to anchor in the little bay and was saluted from the encampment with three volleys of musketry and three cheers she returned the salute with three cheers and three guns all hands now set to work cutting down trees clearing away thickets and marking out the place for the residence storehouse and powder magazine which were to be built of logs and covered with bark others landed the timbers intended for the frame of the coasting vessel and proceeded to put them together while others prepared a garden spot and sowed the seeds of various vegetables the next thought was to give a name to the embryo metropolis the one that naturally presented itself was that of the projector and supporter of the whole enterprise it was accordingly named astoria the neighboring indians now swarmed about the place some brought a few land otter and sea otter skins to barter but in very scanty parcels the greater number came prying about to gratify their curiosity for they are said to be impertinently inquisitive while not a few came with no other design than to pilfer the laws of meum and tuum being but slightly respected among them some of them beset the ship in their canoes among whom was the chinook chief com comly and his liege subjects these were well received by mr mcdougall who was delighted with an opportunity of entering upon his functions and acquiring importance in the eyes of his future neighbours the confusion thus produced on board and the derangement of the cargo caused by this petty trade stirred the spleen of the captain who had a sovereign contempt for the one-eyed chieftain and all his crew he complained loudly of having his ship lumbered by a host of indian ragamuffins who had not a skin to dispose of and at length put his positive interdict upon all trafficking on board 
upon this mr mcdougall was fain to land and establish his quarters at the encampment where he could exercise his rights and enjoy his dignities without control the feud however between these rival powers still continued but was chiefly carried on by letter day after day and week after week elapsed yet the storehouse requisite for the reception of the cargo was not completed and the ship was detained in port while the captain was teased by frequent requisitions for various articles for the use of the establishment or the trade with the natives an angry correspondence took place in which he complained bitterly of the time wasted in smoking and sporting parties as he termed the reconnoitring expeditions and in clearing and preparing meadow ground and turnip patches instead of dispatching his ship at length all these jarring matters were adjusted if not to the satisfaction at least to the acquiescence of all parties the part of the cargo destined for the use of astoria was landed and the ship left free to proceed on her voyage as the tonquin was to coast to the north to trade for peltries at the different harbours and to touch at astoria on her return in the autumn it was unanimously determined that mr mackay should go in her as her supercargo taking with him mr lewis as ship's clerk on the first of june the ship got under way and dropped down to baker's bay where she was detained for a few days by a head wind but early in the morning of the fifth stood out to sea with a fine breeze and swelling canvas and swept off gaily on her fatal voyage from which she was never to return on reviewing the conduct of captain thorn and examining his peevish and somewhat whimsical correspondence the impression left upon our mind is upon the whole decidedly in his favour while we smile at the simplicity of his heart and the narrowness of his views which made him regard everything out of the direct path of his daily duty and the rigid exigencies of the service as trivial and impertinent which inspired him with contempt for the swelling vanity of some of his coadjutors and the literary exercises and curious researches of others we cannot but applaud that strict and conscientious devotion to the interests of his employer and to what he considered the true objects of the enterprise in which he was engaged he certainly was to blame occasionally for the asperity of his manners and the arbitrary nature of his measures yet much that is exceptionable in this part of his conduct may be traced to rigid notions of duty acquired in that tyrannical school a ship of war and to the construction given by his companions to the orders of mr astor so little in conformity with his own his mind too appears to have become almost diseased by the suspicions he had formed as to the loyalty of his associates and the nature of their ultimate designs yet on this point there were circumstances to in some measure justify him the relations between the united states and great britain were at that time in a critical state in fact the two countries were on the eve of a war several of the partners were british subjects and might be ready to desert the flag under which they acted should a war take place their application to the british minister at new york 
shows the dubious feeling with which they had embarked in the present enterprise they had been in the employ of the northwest company and might be disposed to rally again under that association should events threaten the prosperity of this embryo establishment of mr astor besides we have the fact averred to us by one of the partners that some of them who were young and heedless took a mischievous and unwarrantable pleasure in playing upon the jealous temper of the captain and affecting mysterious consultations and sinister movements these circumstances are cited in palliation of the doubts and surmises of captain thorne which might otherwise appear strange and unreasonable that most of the partners were perfectly upright and faithful in the discharge of the trust reposed in them we are fully satisfied still the honest captain was not invariably wrong in his suspicions and that he formed a pretty just opinion of the integrity of that aspiring personage mr mcdougall will be substantially proved in the sequel End of chapter nine